welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. So a little while ago, I had a conversation with Jessica Carrolls, and we were talking about hustle culture and healing and how, sadly, (laughs) there's a real intersection between these two things. And so Jessica had me on her show, and I was like, oh my God, we have to continue this conversation. And so here we are. Jessica Carrolls, aka The Mystic Geek, is a psychic tarot reader and energy healer. She uses magical work and transformational coaching to help people handle whatever curveballs life throws them. Jessica Carrolls, aka The Mystic Geek, is a psychic tarot reader and energy healer. She uses magical work and transformational coaching to help people handle whatever curveballs life throws them. Jess also publishes the podcast Spiritual AF, we both know what or all know what that means, Sundays which deeply explores topics that show up on social media. You can learn more about her work at themysticgeek.com. Jessica, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad to be here as well. So, you know, I always love to start the conversation with how do you qualify as an empath? Like, when did you realize you were an empath? Like, just let's start the very beginning. Tell me about your childhood. Tell me about your experiences. Tell me what it was like to be be the mystic geek as a little person. Well, that's an interesting story given the circumstances because I was raised Jehovah's Witness, which if you're not familiar, that is a sect. Some people say a cult within Christianity that is very restrictive. It takes a look at a lot of contemporary practices and flags them as too pagan. Mm -hmm, Birthdays, mm -hmm. holidays, those sorts of things are taboo. Blood transfusions, taboo. Spirituality in general is taboo. And in some cases, do not believe that it exists. And my mom got caught up in that when I was five years old. So It was the majority of my childhood up until I was a rebellious 15-year-old who was done with it. Part of the reason I was done with it was some experiences I had when I was eight years old. Now, I was more than just the imaginative little girl at that time. I could pick up things that I should not know about as an eight-year-old child. Yes. Like my mom being sick. Like my mom having a very difficult pregnancy. Now, at that point, fortunately, I did not know that one of the things being discussed was that this pregnancy with my youngest sibling could potentially be Mm life-threatening. And at that point in time, it was, again, it's taboo for them to do abortion. So my mom, very strong in the belief, decided she was going to continue with that pregnancy. Fortunately, everything worked out. 
what my parents did not know about until later was amidst all this, I actually had a dream where my room got bright lights like all over the place. And I saw Jesus walk out of the closet to tell me that my mom and my youngest brother were going to be okay and to get out of the Jehovah's Witnesses because they were poisoned. Again, things wow. an, eight, an eight-year-old is not going to understand, right? Right. Exactly. So exactly. That, that's part of it. After my youngest brother was born, uh, my mom slipped into a depression, mm -hmm. a very dark depression. And again, as an eight-year-old, I was shielded from fully understanding the nature of everything that was going on. But one night I walked up to her before going to bed and she was just sitting on at on the doorstep of our house with a glass of wine. And she had this very somber, serious look to her. Again, I had no idea what was going on or what was going on in my in her head, but I remember walking towards my dad on the way to my bedroom to go to bed and saying something. And for the life of me, I don't remember what it was other than knowing that mom felt sick. I went to bed and I woke up to noises outside of my bedroom. Uh, it was paramedics pounding on the master bedroom door and my dad yelling for my mom to unlock the door. Mm. Um, my mom, we are very lucky that she is still alive today. I don't know what would have happened if that in moment before didn't happen. Because, yeah, my mom in her mind at that point, and again, she was unwell, she was concerned that my dad was not taking care of or being a major part in myself and my other three siblings' lives, and she was going to force that upon him. And she felt that doing something very drastic and very permanent was the only way to drive that home. And at that point in time, I only knew my mom was sick, the ambulance showed up to get her, and there was something about pumping out her stomach and charcoal taste. Again, eight-year-old, fortunately, I didn't have to deal with the seriousness of it. I didn't know the full details of everything until maybe a few years ago. Wow. Or my mom was so in that dark moment, she did not remember me walking up to her when she was contemplating things. And she did not realize that we were awake and watching when the paramedics were there. Mm. So harsh moment. That is actually when I realized that I had abilities. But again, as an eight-year-old among Jehovah Witnesses, there wasn't really an outlet for me at that point to figure out what the heck was going on. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't have a Christmas tree. You, know? you couldn't have a Christmas tree. But my teachers had decided anytime we had a holiday, if I could not participate, because the Jehovah's Witnesses were so adamant that these holidays were pagan, mm -hmm. guess what they had me do? I wrote research papers on the pagan histories of all of these holidays. So you can probably guess what that led to over time. Uh, yes. I mean, considering that you're here on the Empathic Mastery Show and you and I have had conversations about tarot and everything. How amazing is that, that it yeah. ended up being a door opening for you? So talking about that piece of, you remind me of a thing about how as small children, we see these pieces of information, but we don't understand the magnitude of what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. And there's that way that it's like, we're just so innocent that we get all the information and we impart it to an adult who can then be like, oh, shit, this is really serious. 
But it's like we don't have any of that gravity or we don't have any of the context. So we just see the information, but we don't freak us out the way that it often will freak adults out because we just see it for what it is. So what a gift and what a just a miracle that you happened to catch your mom at that moment and that, Mm -hmm. you know, she's still here. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So from being, you know, eight-year-old and then a 15-year-old who is like, this is for the birds, I'm out of here. How, what was the transition from being a child, being raised as a Jehovah's Witness? And I will say, for some reason, I've met a number of you guys, the ex-Jehovah's Witnesses who turned magical, like definitely a subset of of former JWs who are all very magical people now. So mm-hmm. interesting. I don't know. There's some magic in that place, but it's just, Jesus said, it's poison. But um, <laughs> so how did you go from poison to this life? So this gets even more wild. Uh, right before or right amidst everything where I was like, I'm done with it and had, did the whole teenager thing. I really wanted to get out of public school. And there was this one opportunity that popped up for is for me to attend a local private school. And it was one of the higher end private schools in the uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin metro area. Now, my mom at that time was on and off of various jobs, and my dad's a school teacher, and we all know how much school teachers make. So the chance that this inner city girl was going to be able to afford private school was next to none until the day that I got the phone call that I got a full four-year paid scholarship that cost the value of my parents' home. Wow. Yeah, that's when I learned about manifestation without even knowing what the word was beyond I really want to get it. I'm hoping, I'm praying to the universe, I'm doing everything that I need to do work-wise. And it worked out. And I knew there was always something bigger than just simply luck or brains at that point. Now, private, not Christian, but strongly into like the right-wing American values sort of thing, which I didn't fully understand as a 15-year-old. Again, Magic was not a thing, but church was. Mm -hmm. So I ended up with the Christian crowd, the evangelical Christian crowd. Mm -hmm. And then I went to Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is Jesuit. So talk about, they are, that is the group of Catholics that's very inquisitive. So that was a lot of fun. I ended up getting a theology degree without trying because I took so many classes And I loved half-price books because that is where I could get the witchy books. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. still testing things out would be like the holy water from the cathedral, the little saint medals from the Catholic store that was across the street from my dormitory, same with the little prayer candles. Again, it was the 90s. The craft hadn't even come out yet. Silver Raven Wolf was the big thing. And I was doing everything I could to try and figure stuff out. So even in, so high school to college was when I started to transition to a little bit of witchiness. And then once I got into the St. Paul, Minneapolis area, that's when I fully came out of the broom closet, as it were. I joined a Celtic group in my early 20s, which we are all in our early 20s. So we did not know what the heck we were doing and made a whole bunch of mistakes. Went solitary for a long time studying, and now I'm with a group. But as for actually going out and serving the world, that 
happened late 2017 to 2018 is when that journey started. So during that time, um, a couple of things were going on. I, I'll come up. I'm Polly, polyamorous at that point as I'm married. Uh, also at that point, I had a boyfriend and boyfriend and I decided we were going to do a creative project together. Uh, we were actually going to build a role playing game that had political undertones. And if 2017, if you remember, that's when Trump was in office. There's a lot of concerns. So we, how do we handle that? Um, when you have various groups on the full political spectrum, being very emotional yes. during this time. That was also a hard time for me because my dad was dying of cancer. Mm, I'm so my sorry. My dad died a week after my 39th birthday. Wow. Wait, 38, 39, wait, it's 2017. That would be 38th. But yeah, it's all those years muddled together. So he passed away. I got to see him one last time on my birthday and a few weeks after. Soon after all of that, the boyfriend broke up with me. And that's when I learned when you have a creative project with someone who, especially if that someone is your romantic partner, you need to plan an exit strategy for that business. I didn't. And he took advantage of that situation to try and burn things to the ground. Mm, so mm. that was end of 2017 going into the beginning of 2018. And what ended up happening after that was amidst a Minnesota snowstorm, which we are famous for, I had this fixation of I had to get a tarot reading. I needed guidance. I'd used tarot on and off for about 20 years prior to that and leading up to it. But when you're emotional, you can't really read for yourself. You're you so right. lost. Yeah. So I went and I remember going through taking the bus because I was downtown in Minneapolis when I decided to do that. My car was at their park and ride. So I was taking buses to get to uh, this shop called the Eye of Horus, now known as the Eye. Went, needed a tarot reader. Tarot reader showed up. We spent about an hour together and I had just simply so, so much peace from the clarity and knowledge that I got from that reading that what I wanted to build would be reborn. It would take on a different form than what I expected. Um, I went home, got up my tarot deck in real end. I told myself it was so important for me to be on the client's side of that because then I could see the benefit of being out and being present to help others. So you were experiencing this level of peace and clarity from getting that, like having that clear mirror to look at and to see what was going on. I also just want to pull back out that little piece that you were saying about when you are in a business with somebody else or engage with it. And I will say it's not just necessarily romantic partners, but having an exit strategy is a really good idea that, mm -hmm. you know, businesses can sometimes go sideways. Yeah. That's something important. But so you were saying you were feeling just so, I am imagining validated, but also just this piece of just kind of knowing that things were going to get to be rebuilt. Yeah. When you're in the thick of things with grief, loss, and everything else like that, it can be hard to recognize there is going to be life beyond that. that yes. The sun will rise. Things can continue onwards. You sometimes need to have someone lovingly and sometimes a little bit 
abruptly, shake you to your senses and say, hey, it is going to be okay. This moment sucks, yet it's it's going to pass. And when it passes, you have the ability to pick yourself back up and become back stronger. Absolutely. And I love how, you know, it does sometimes take another person to pull out that truth and to be able to say, this is going to pass. There is going to be a time where even though this may feel like you're in hell right now, you will look back at it and know that you are on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. So is this where the awareness or the, you were saying that you sort of came into the work of being, you know, a healer and intuitive in 2017. So it sounds like, you know, you kind of had a Phoenix experience in the sense that it was like you rose from the ashes that you really, you kind of, it sounds like you kind of got put through it in order to get to where you are today. So What led you to say, this is the work I need to do? It was that moment when I had that reading done and I recognized my own giftedness. And I said, why am I hiding this from the world? Or why am I denying the world this opportunity to have another healer? Now, granted, my healing was not done at that point. It actually up-leveled and become a lot harder. And I had to deal with all sorts of shadow work, especially around the whole concept of being a healer. There's a lot of things that get kicked up along the way. That whole reading and the loss that prior to that, that was that catalyst point for me. And this in some ways is like the perfect segue into the conversation that we had (laughs) talked about having in terms of healing culture and hustle culture. Because I think that talking about the stuff that gets kicked up and the shadow work that we have to do, like that's kind of like our perfect segue into this conversation. Because I think that if we don't deal with that, then Mm -hmm. the inevitable intersection between hustle and healing can end up happening. But so let's talk about the first part of it. Like, what did come up for you? What did you notice? What did you realize? Like, okay, like if you're going to claim the mantle of being a healer, you got to deal with this stuff. The biggest thing is going to be boundaries. And when I say boundaries, there's this desire to help other people. And if you don't have solid boundaries, and if you don't have a solid sense of self-worth, you run the risk of burning yourself out. Absolutely. And for me, the way that I helped myself and built those boundaries, and this may be controversial, was I charged my services and I set the expectation of this is what I would do and this is what I would not do. And then I started comparing that to other areas of my life where I was willing to go above and beyond And basically take the shirt off my back without being even being asked and realizing how hurtful that was to me and how hurtful it could be to other people who needed, now this may sound callous, but the needing the opportunity to go through that struggle. Some people may say, well, that's that's mean. But sometimes we have to go through life and struggle before we realize that we have that birthright for comfort and for pleasure. And we have to declare it. And other people jumping in and basically interfering halts that development process for the other person. Yes. I mean, I know from my own personal experience, and this is one of the ways that I've been able to frame this to make it make sense. 
I know that while there have been times in my life where I have been so down and out that I have needed somebody, like I've needed to ask for a a lifeline, I've needed to ask for a hand, and somebody has graciously helped. But I chose to be my own rescue in the sense that I asked for that help. And what I will say is that I know that every time in my life where somebody interceded on my behalf or rescued me before I was ready for it or asked for it or like was willing to take any responsibility, it just pushed out the inevitable bottom. It just pushed out the inevitable like experience of not getting there. And I would say that when we rush into rescue and help people when they are not helping themselves, all we are doing is prolonging the inevitable fall that happens for every one of us. And I just believe that every one of us has to go through our own struggles and come to terms with it and choose something different. So I could not agree with you more. Like, absolutely, 100%. Mm -hmm. You got to let people figure it out for themselves. You know, and you were talking, I want to go back to something you sort of hinted at. You said, you know, this may be controversial. And I'm like, let's talk about charging for services because and first off like were you saying you thought it was controversial because you were new in the field or just the idea of even charging for services being controversial the idea of charging for services being controversial uh some people have issues when it comes to connecting spirituality or spiritual gifts with money yes even though money is a form of energy it is is first off, it's a thought construct because right now it's just a symbol of, well, what this is piece of paper, what does this number on a screen mean? But at its core, it's energy. And we are constantly exchanging energy with other people. Why not have that energy be this thing that can then cause transformation in not only my lives, but the lives of other people? Yes. Well, and, you know, having done quite a bit of bartering over the years, one of the things that I learned a long time ago is that bartering requires having a relationship with somebody. And it requires both people want what the other person has to offer, or it's not going to be a win-win situation. Mm -hmm. But it also means an ongoing relationship, an ongoing engagement. Money is really clean. Somebody can want to receive something from you, they give you money, and then they may have nothing that you want from them, and you can then take that money, and the transaction is clean and done, and then you can use the money to do something else. As a symbol for engagement, in many ways, it's actually substantially cleaner than Mm -hmm. a lot of the other options. And I mean, the whole idea of we should be giving it away for free, then, you know, there's that saying, energy cannot be transformed, it can only, or it can not be destroyed. It can only be transformed. The thing is like, you cannot be just giving and giving and giving and giving and giving without exacting something back. Mm -hmm. And if you're not giving in a clean way, if you're just giving it all away, there's still going to be a price that that other person is going to pay. It's just not necessarily like money. And again, money's cleaner. But it's fascinating, you know, kind of like in some ways, this sort of brings us towards like a little bit closer towards we're inching towards the hustle culture. Because on one hand, you have this kind of like poor, starving healer, hippie archetype of like money is dirty. I'm going to live off the grid. I'm just going to give my services away for free. 
And then on the other side, we have the commodification of healing, the hustling of healing, and this whole sort of like, you know, just sign up for my $10,000 mini course, or just sign up for my $10,000 weekend retreat. And I will, you know, and the work you've been working on for the last 20 years of your life, will have three hypnosis sessions and bada bing, bada boom, you'll be fine. So I mean, it's a really fascinating thing of like, how we have kind of those the duality between the no money and then sort of the commodification on the other side of it. And I'm imagining the fact that you and I are having this conversation and we've had other conversations that, you know, you and I are kind of like, we're finding the graceful middle that is neither of those things. Yeah, exactly. And part of the thing with money is it's always going to be an accessibility issue. Mm-hmm. And when I say accessibility is there are some people who are going to be able to afford you. Yes. And some who aren't. And likewise, we live in a capitalistic society. So if there are people out there who are giving this away for free, that may could potentially make it harder for those who do want to make money on it, um, who may not have the resources to hustle and seek out the people who are going to be able to pay. And oftentimes, the people who don't have the resources, the people who are left behind are those who do not have privilege, those who are marginalized, those who have all this work and all this obligation, and it's already is an uphill battle for them. And then it's going to be a further uphill battle to ask and to ask for an amount that's going to be sustainable for them. So if you're going through and if you're charging for your services, price for your based on your own internal integrity. But even then, if you don't feel like you deserve the money, give it away. Mm-hmm. Keep the exchange clean. I'm just hearing that and thinking, yeah, it's like if you feel uncomfortable, like make the exchange clean by having reciprocity, but then use the money for something else. You know, the other thing in talking about offering services, making the choice to charge money and being aware of the accessibility issues for for certain people, because there are people who cannot support, you know, who cannot afford the services, who cannot afford these things. And I think empaths very, very often find themselves falling into this idea of, well, since somebody can't afford it, I should just give it away. I had a revelation a number of years ago where I suddenly dawned on me that like I'd been sort of trying to treat myself like a charitable organization. I didn't have any fundraising going on. Like I didn't have an infrastructure because I dawned on me at a point, you know, charitable organizations are not making a profit or not not making money. It's just that they're not making money from the people they serve, but they still have money coming in. They still have support coming in. And I think one of the things that happens for so many healers is that they try to function like a charity, but there's no money coming in. So it's sort of like they're just bleeding out and sacrificing and serving but not necessarily like some maybe in alignment with the universe and it just all mm-hmm. flows. But I think for a lot of people, they end up giving and giving and giving without getting anything back. That said, I do think one of the things that every one of us has to kind of, I don't know, like grapple with is how, where do we do our give backs? Where do we do our seva? Where do we acknowledge our privilege and do things to try to make, like acknowledge and address the imbalances in the world in our own way? Yeah. Some of the 
interestingly enough, is a couple of the online marketers who I lean on as coaches who have business models that have figured this aspect out. They charge a higher ticket price for the people that they serve when it comes to coaching clients, but then they have money that they can use towards hiring editors for their podcast, blogging, social media strategy, all these different things that push out free to the general audience resources. Yes. So if it's a matter that you're having like tarot clients or healing clients or coaching clients, but you feel awkward about holding on to that money, you can always use that to generate resources for everyone else. So you're still helping others. It's just you don't have that one-to-one relationship with them. Exactly. And, you know, going back to the idea of, a mo- you know, sort of thinking about feeling worthy of charging for things that I also really love the model of having a lot of offerings that may, that are accessible, that are either very low ticket, very low price or free for people to be able to use resources. And then that idea of charging for our time, you know, charging so the people who can afford it can receive it. I personally really do love that model because I think it's a win-win situation for sure. And there is also that getting ourselves through the shadow that doesn't believe we deserve to take anything in that, you know, just like all of the worthiness stuff that can come up, which was sort of where we started. Yeah. Yeah. And so you were talking about like, you know, one of the really, really, really big lessons was boundaries and mm-hmm. just really, and, and from my perspective, I mean, you know, we've talked a bit about the money boundaries, you know, as I see it, there's the money boundaries, there's the time boundaries, there's the energetic boundaries, there's the boundary of not rescuing or not rushing in to fix things when somebody like, when it's not appropriate to do that, just so many different places with boundaries. Is there anything? else that you noticed, like in addition to learning about or discovering that you, you know, boundaries was the work, what else? Any other things that were really big pieces? So there was that boundary there. Um, The other part is for me to be the healer, for me to be the one that others looked up to, I had to make sure my own life was in order. Not to say I had to be the absolute perfect person, sparkling everything, However, I had to actively work on things. Yes. Uh, This really hit home when I got my Reiki attunements a couple years ago. And I was looking at what was going on in the healing community and whatnot. And it was interesting. You have people who identify as energy healers who support others. And when you peel back the hood, they had personal issues that were unresolved and they were not actively working towards fixing. Yes. That bleeds into your ability to help others and your ability to serve others. Again, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have everything figured out. But you have to be at a point where you recognize your own blind spots, your own shortcomings and start to take action towards them. You don't have to broadcast it to the world either. You don't have to be publicly, I am flawed and here is how I'm fixing myself. Unless you hurt people and you want to be held accountable, that's a different matter entirely. But that subtle energy resonates with what you are working on and with what you aren't. Oh, preach. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, and I'm actually thinking as you're talking, I'm actually thinking, you know, you were saying that you're polyamorous. And one thing I will say is that in my personal experience, polyamory and panfidelity done right requires the willingness to do the work and really does require a willingness to be held accountable and to look at your stuff. And so I just, I'm thinking, of course, you're polyamorous in that, you know, well, not of course, because other people who are not poly also do their work. But I'm just really struck by the intersection between that part and the willingness to look at things. But you know, I so agree. Like, I think we really need to have our side of the street clean and we really need to be willing to look at our stuff if we are going to be doing this work in the world. And you can't be like, you know, it's sort of the joke of like, how can priests advise people about marriage if they've never been married or ever had sex? Like, in a way, it's like, like if somebody is in a train wreck of a relationships, they are not necessarily going to be a great psychic advisor or healer for people who are trying to navigate relationships or find their way because we can only share so much. And I'm not saying you have to have gone through it to be able to help somebody through it, but I do think that if you are actively a hot mess in it, you shouldn't be advising other people about it. Mm-hmm. And interesting on the whole, all the different bits on it. I feel that being involved in a tradition when it comes to witchcraft and the work you have to go through as you go through the levels, that's another area where you get smacked with the self-awareness clue by four. Mm -hmm. So that also helps as well. Um, And interesting on that whole hot mess relationship thing, I I will fully admit that I have had relationships that were hot messes. And I will admit I contributed my part to those fuck-ups. And I've had those situations where the breakup happened and I would pine for months saying, when are they returning? Or I feel they're my soulmate and all those. So when people come to me with those questions, I can approach it from a position of empathy because I've been there. Yes. And I mean, we kind of like joke around about it after the, like with other practitioners. So it's like, yeah, we've had these types of situations. But when in those client meetings, like I fully see them. I see yes. them for what they're dealing with. And I say, all right, I'm going to meet you where you're at. And we're going to talk through what we can on this situation. Similar to, and I don't know how this happened, but with the app that I use where people reproach me for readings, I've lost count of the number of times that I will have people come to me for a relationship rating and the person of interest is already in another relationship. Mm-hmm. It is not poly. And it's the question of, are they going to choose me of over this other person or what is going to happen? And I've had those shadow periods in my life as well. Again, it's a matter of because I've been in that spot, I can see them. Yeah. And it's having that compassionate, non-judgmental conversation on walking through all the possibilities yeah, and being unbiased in that process. And that's something people aren't, they don't anticipate because they feel like their life is a walking reality TV show. Yeah. Well, and so often I think that our culture, and this kind of feeds into like the core philosophy of what does it mean to be a healer? What does it mean to be available for somebody? 
Do we meet somebody where they are with compassion and kindness and acknowledge the journey, but also acknowledge ultimately it's up to them. They get to decide what they're going to do. Because I think so many people expect to be told, you know, because we have so many wounds about being bad and wrong and not doing it the right way that I think we often approach advice or guidance thinking that we're going to get reproached or we're going to be, you know, have somebody sort of say, you should do this thing. And yet the most powerful thing I think we can do, and it sounds like the way you approach the the work is you meet somebody where they are, you talk about their options, you talk about the choices, you talk about how they got to where they are. And then it's like, our job is not to tell them what to do. Our job is to give them the choices and then support them in making those choices, but not to be like, if you make this choice, then, you know, (laughs) you're persona non grata to me, but it's more like, this looks like perhaps a better choice, mm-hmm. but what feels right to you? Yeah. And that gets interesting when you're doing text or voice conversations on a pay per minute, because, oh, for me, it's the, I want to make sure I'm giving them value. We only have a limited number of amount of time. So we have that going on. Um, but along the lines of the whole, what should we do? More often than not, the client comes to me and asks, what should I do in this situation? Should I stay with them? Should I leave? Should I hold on hope? Should I not? And I have to remind them, they're the authors of their own story. They're the directors of their own movie. I can guide them. I can say, here's the forecast, much like a weather person, yeah. except they can change it. But it means they have to learn how to hold on power to themselves. So I'm having to patch them up to get them to the point where they can trust themselves while also doing this reading, which is a lot of work. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. a lot of work to do in a, like a 10, 20, 30 half hour reading is give them the confidence that they can make that next step on their own. Yeah. Well, in 10, 20, 30 minutes, you cannot possibly, like, I mean, the kitchen sink is not included in a 10, 20 or 30 exactly. minute reading. And there's only so much that any of us can do in that really brief period of time. You know, in terms of relationships, something that you know, being at the, I mean, I've been with my my husband for over 23 years and we've been married for like 21 years at this point. And I'm, I'm like, I just had my 60th birthday. So I've been around the block a little bit and I'm also a Capricorn with Virgo rising. So I'm a little bit of a hard ass, but I will say with Venus and Scorpio, uh, Neptune and Scorpio in my third house, when I was younger, I was a, a very, very drippy, hot mess when it came to relationships and boy, howdy, did I pine and boy, howdy, did I like, like I was, I was just, I gripped. So I am not saying this from a place of like, I've never been there because I really have. But, (laughs) But one conclusion I have personally come to is if you have to ask a psychic, if somebody is a is an appropriate partner for you, they aren't. Because anytime you are in a relationship with somebody who is being emotionally unavailable, is playing you against another person, is doing anything that has you questioning whether this relationship is viable, it's not. Because a person who wants to be in a relationship wants to be in a relationship and is willing to be there and shows up. And anytime somebody is like, well, maybe if I just like, no. Just drop it. You know, as this that old movie goes, he's just not that into you. And I think that that's the thing. So often, and especially I think with women, they're constantly looking for like, well, maybe he'll come around. It's like, 
honey, treat yourself better. You deserve to be with somebody who actually wants to be with you and is not like stringing you along. So that's my hard ass Capricorn sun, Virgo rising, (laughs) Sag moon attitude. That's okay. I'm Scorpio sun, Scorpio Mercury and Scorpio Venus. So (laughs) yeah. And my Mars is in Leo. So I can be a little abrupt at times. I got Mars in Leo too. Yeah. Yeah. But in the 12th house, it it calms it down a little. Exactly. So it's like, I will get to the point and Mm -hmm. I, I rip through all the layers on it. And I think part of it, the benefit when it comes to be like the psychic and tarot is you see that stuff. Mm-hmm. So the whole, like the other partner's not emotionally available or whatnot, you see that stuff and you have the ability to call that out to your clients. Yeah. And having it come out of your mouth makes it a lot more real to them. Yes. So at that point, having someone say, he looks emotionally unavailable and uh, like he's scattered and really focused on work. And they're like, yeah, that is definitely him. And then you repeat that and it finally sinks in. And it's like, he's not available. Oh shit. So you got that. And then also on the whole, should I wait or whatnot? I'm reminded of a phrase that my therapist shared with me when I was going through some hard times. Is the juice worth the squeeze? And I have used that with having conversations of, okay, I can give you a forecast of the time and everything else. Is he, is she, are they really worth it? Yeah. And sometimes they are. And sometimes simply asking that question makes the other person think enough and go, wait, no, I'm worth more than this. I'm just, you know, and I really do think that in many ways, if we can claim our own worth and help other people to claim their worth, what a major part of the whole healing journey it really is. Like just recognizing having, and I mean, not just worth, but like self-respect, um, mm-hmm. you know, just really like I deserve to be treated well. I deserve to be loved. I deserve to be supported all so incredibly important. Yeah. And I think yeah. a lot of it harkens back to our, all of our respective childhoods. Everyone's childhood has had issues. There's no one out there that I can think of where everything is perfect. There's always going to be an issue with mom, dad, whatnot, where there's this desire to be accepted that we get we hit snags during our development and then we externalize it and we project it on others. So we always have those issues come up, which leads to flimsy boundaries, which lead to holding on to relationships way past their expiration date or pining once they're over. And it's a matter of going through that healing to finally figure out what we are really worth and to strive for that. And just, just taking all of this in and just really thinking about everything that we're talking about and just you know i what i'm one of the things i'm really hearing in this is just how incredibly important and interestingly i was having a conversation earlier today with another person just about the intersection between doing our own personal work and doing the work with other people and for other people it's just so deeply interconnected yeah so um Let's talk a little bit about, I know you and I had sort of talked about, just wanting to talk about hustle culture. Oh my gosh. Hustle culture and healing culture. Yeah. I could go on and on about that, especially when we're dealing with the, with our capitalism society and trying to make ends meet and trying to handle both 
and often cases a mundane life and career along with the the spiritual work that we're doing to help others. I think the hardest part on this one is when someone wants to get into this work and they're looking for resources and they want resources that can help them get up and going fast. Those resources can be pretty expensive. Now, part of it is also the comparing ourselves to others, which makes us want to go through this process fast versus Mm -hmm. understand, like actually let's make the mistakes. Now that's not to say make every single mistake. There are some things that are avoidable and we can always learn ahead of time, but there seems to be this like push for it. And I see that, especially when it comes to resources that are out there, learn how to do X in five days, be successful in this, get your Instagram to 10,000 followers in six months. And it really plays on our desire or our the pressure to compare ourselves with others. And I feel that we have to go through that shadow work as we're building our business to recognize if it takes us six months, yay. If it takes us six years, yay. And then going further and saying the number of followers is not indicative of my self-worth. Why am I even pushing it? So there's all these different things that pop up when it comes to your own headspace. Well, and you know, you're making, I'm just thinking that are living in a time right now where the number of followers and being identified as an influencer seems to have taken precedence over professional chops. Mm-hmm. And I've recently been having this experience. I've been reviewing a number of books lately and reading a bunch of books. And I have to say, I am blown away by the number of authors who do not list their credentials, who do not talk about some who don't even have a bio in their book. And when I go and I look like I try to find any information about them, either there's nothing available or it's all that sort of like hustle culture, flowery language about like what a badass goddess babe they are and how they're empowering other women to claim their power and blah, 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 blah. But there's not one freaking thing in there about why they're qualified to do the work. And particularly, I'm struck by these people who are writing books about like narcissism and gaslighting and trauma and like really deep personal, you know, deep healing things. And I'm like, what qualifies you to even stand on this? And it seems to me that people have gotten so focused on the number of followers that they have on their social media platforms and on, you know, being able to like 10x their months and grow their business to be, you know, six figures and more. There's a way in which developing your skills as a really ethical, really actually trauma-informed healer has really taken the back seat. And You know, and I think sadly, there are a lot of people who don't even necessarily know what it means to be a good healer or a good psychic or a good teacher or mentor or coach, because all they're seeing are these kind of like, I I had a past life where I was like this high priestess. And so I'm going to help you now. Like, it's like, no, you need to get some chops. You need to learn your stuff. So I'm just really struck by the intersection also between like hustle culture and when we focus entirely on marketing and focus on on sort of the idea of these external metrics of growth as opposed to just really learning how to do the work well 
Yeah. And yeah. interesting that you mentioned the book, because this is a new trend that's out there is to either write a book, which yeah. you can either do by hand or AI is a thing, or you can hire a ghostwriter. But the purpose is not to sell the book. I mean, yes, have some information in there, but they use the book uh, basically as a lead generation tool for their yes. business. Yes. And to determine or establish themselves as a an authority and to create sort of the quote, no like and trust. I mm-hmm. will say though that some of the quality of the books I've been reading lately, I'm like, honey, I'm not gonna know like and trust you because of this book. But nowadays it's almost like too so many people won't even bother to read things or they'll just see, oh, so and so wrote a book. And so therefore it does kind of create that sense of authority. You know, that like, yeah, books have almost become like a business card. It's kind of ironic. I'm a big fan (laughs) of writing books. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm very pro book. But again. Yeah. And that's like, I see these books and how they're written. I'm like, well, darn. It's like, I could actually write a book that's at least half feels like crap, but it's for me, but it'll at least be better than this. It definitely, it handles the imposter syndrome and it handles all that fear of perfection and say, hey. Well, if they're doing it and it's like this, why can't I? But I can actually do it genuine. Right. Well, and I mean, it's sort of like, this is a whole other, like, don't even get me started. I mean, there have been a couple books where I started to read them and I was like, I ha- I cannot review this. I'm just going to have to turn in the assignment, like turn down the assignment and just be like, yeah, no, we're not doing this because they were so badly written. And like, but also like, why do you think after just like, there was this one kid who had written this little tiny book that was about, you know, the occult where she's teaching people how to conjure demons. And I'm like, oh no, you did. And like, wait, wait, know. what? Yeah, oh, seriously. Oh. And she had just done some coaching with her cousin and her cousin was so impressed with what she had done for her that she decided that she was going to write a book about coaching and spiritual development and healing and how to conjure demons. And I started reading it. Not only was it just like written so badly, it wasn't even funny, but also this kid was like in their late teens, early twenties and didn't know anything like shit from Shinola, like no information, but there's no, they don't, I mean, it was clear. There's no mentor. There's no teacher. There's no resources and nobody going, Hey there, you're really sure you want to be putting that out there. And that's the other thing with the social media and the internet now is like, you get all these people who are just spouting opinions and in some ways, not necessarily getting any, you know, helpful feedback for it, but yeah. Oh my gosh. TikTok is such a plethora of that where you have people, especially young adults, teenagers, even sharing unverified personal gnosis, uh, which for those who aren't familiar, it's it's your personal experience. It has not been back, uh, backed up by lore or or sources, but they'll, they'll share these things. And again, because TikTok's kind of the wild west, they don't really get a whole lot of encouragement or mentorship. They get laughed at. So that leads to them shutting down. Like I've lost count of how many times I've seen videos on TikTok of usually teenagers, the voices tell me that they're teenagers or very young adults saying that they got messages from the gods and that Olympus was having issues. And it's like, honey, I wish I could find you and like actually talk to you, because, but TikTok won't let you do messages unless you're mutually friends. Mm. Um, but it's there's a lot of people who need education and guidance. And it's like you've seen these things. 
maybe it means this, or maybe there's a trickster spirit. But unfortunately, the first reaction is always mocking or to be very confrontational. And even if someone was to stitch, which is basically do an attachment and a reply video, because it's public, Mm -hmm. even if it's well-intentioned, it's still, it's embarrassing because it's a call out. Yes. A lot of these things really need to have a private conversation. Yes, yes, yes. You know, and the other side of it is that you get that side of it where somebody needs a call out or needs a private support and information. Um, But then you also have the other side where it's like somebody who somebody goes viral and somebody's getting all of these accolades and all of this attention and all of this validation for stuff that is not well formed, that is not well developed. And where it's like almost they get cocky. They just sort of imagine that they know a lot more than they do because they're not getting laughed at, but instead sort of like, you know, they're rising to the top of all of it. Uh I mean, this is a conversation that, you know, I could have for eight hours and hours and hours. And I am very aware of the fact that we're hitting the the time (laughs) mark. We've actually just like slipped a little bit over it. And I always want to ask for, you know, I I have the last questions. And so I always want to be sure that I ask, I'm asking you. So Jessica, if there was one thing that you would just absolutely kick yourself, if you did not answer this, or you did not share this in this interview, you know, like what's the thing, like the burning thing that you're like, I really do need to share this too. Okay. Well, we barely touched upon capitalism and or the hustle culture and healing culture, coaching culture. Especially if you're starting out, there's a lot of instructors who are out there, um, whether it's business planning, understanding modalities or whatnot, that charge higher tickets, no matter what they say, no matter what they offer, do not put yourself in debt for this path. Do not. Monthly payment plan is kind of iffy because they set that up as a way that thinking you're going to make money and you'll make it self-sufficient. Budget, 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 budget. If you can't afford it in straight cash or or through cash flow, hold off on buying it. Sweat equity is a thing. There's so many resources out there in Google that you can find all these instructors are doing is they're compiling it for you as a time saver and they have a curated community at best. There's free Facebook groups, free communities out there, low cost resources. Udemy is a thing if you actually want to pay like something for it, but do not put yourself in debt. If you're a healer who wants to get out there and wants to share things, avoid that because you're putting yourself in a tougher situation. Well, and especially for the marketing stuff, for the, this is how to run a business. Like I would clarify this in saying, do not put yourself in debt for a business coach or somebody who is a marketing coach or somebody who is telling you, I'm going to help you to grow your business and 10 exit. I would say, though, that if you are thinking about investing in your future as a healer and you need better skills and credentials, that to me is where looking into scholarships, looking into training, because I would actually say 
uh, the difference between like for me as an EFT master trainer, uh, you know, like a $60 EFT course on Udemy is not the same as an 11 week live training that I am doing with people. And then a year long mentoring process to help people to become, you know, skilled practitioners. And that to me is one of the places where maybe it's worth looking at if you're going to consider investing and potentially having any kind of debt. If you're going to go into debt, go into debt for the things that actually give you credentials. Go into debt for the things that make you better at what you do. Don't just go into debt because somebody tells you that they can teach you how to grow your mailing list in six, you know, jump to six figures or whatever, seven figures, whatever it is they're yeah. saying. Yeah. And even with the credentials on it, it's like, do your homework. Credentials do versus your homework. Credentials versus certification. Because there's ding, ding, practice. <laughs> yeah. Even with like Reiki practitioners, I mean, there's oh. like a, there's not really any governing body or oversight no. when it comes to a lot of these practices, whether it's tarot, energy healing, all these funky modalities, which is basically someone putting their special label on what they do. It's you have to do your homework on it. And so, yeah, so that's the second thing is like, make sure I say is do your homework on what do it is that you're homework. trying to learn and who you're learning from. And are you going for it for the knowledge or are you going for it for the shiny thing that you can tack on on your bio? So that's, again, all these different things that you got to think about if you are going down the quote unquote professional healer path. Yes, absolutely. And do your homework. And I mean, it's like a certification is like only as good as the paper it's written on and the people who create it. And, you know, anybody can tell you, anybody can create a certification program. <laughs> like, you know, that all they need is Canva and people who are giving them money for it or something. So I'm so there with you. It's like, check your sources, check what you're going for. So Jessica, this has been such a rich conversation. I mean, you and I could talk and talk and talk and talk about this because I know it's yeah. we are both really passionate about and it feels like we've sort of scratched the surface talking about just like the whole kind of wild west of mm -hmm. TikTok and marketing and hustle versus healing and all of that. And I really want to respect your time and the audience's time. So I want to ask you the question I always like to, to sort of round up with is, I really think of podcasts as being um, a way to travel in time. You know, they go way far into the future, but I also believe there's a way we can broadcast the message back into the past. And I sort of think of it as like, we're having a conversation that's reaching back to younger Jessica. And I'm just wondering about that young Jessica, maybe the struggling as a psychic Jehovah's Witness, who do you want to go back to? And what message do you need to her to hear? Like what, if you could just, or not if you, because we are, what, <laughs> what are you going to tell her? Uh, I would probably go past that to the newly polyamorous Ah, Jessica, yeah, um, that it's okay to let go of relationships that do not fit. You don't have to wait for them to be done. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily hurting them to let go. You're actually helping them on their journey. Sometimes that loss is necessary. Sometimes ending a relationship is necessary and it is helpful. And it is the kinder thing 
to do. Mm. So what I really hear in that is you deserve to do what works best for you, not Mm -hmm. what other people want from you. Yeah, that was the big lesson that I had to learn the hard way. Yeah, which in some ways sort of circles us back around to like in in many ways, that's kind of the meta of this whole conversation is whether it is as a healer or as a lover or as uh, anything you deserve to do what works for you and not wait for other people or just try to do something because you think it's going to meet their needs or please them Mm -hmm. or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Jessica, this has been such a rich conversation. This has been so just stimulating and interesting and amazing. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing with us. So how do people get in touch with you? Okay. So my main website is themysticgeek.com. I am on many of the main social media platforms. are straight the mystic geek or the underscore mystic underscore geek. Instagram and Pinterest, interestingly enough, they already had people with other accounts. So it is what it is. Um, at the time of this recording, they'll probably be a bit more robust when it's done. Uh, mystic side hustle. MysticSideHustle.com. At this point in time, the recording, well, we're recording this in advance of the airing. So by the time this airs, MysticSideHustle.com is probably going to be doing something really interesting and uh, Mm -hmm. we'll be there. And also, you guys, you can catch all of this in the show notes. So come on over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to find the show notes and you can find all of Jessica's links there and so that you can go check her out and all of the wonderful things that she has to offer. Again, thank you so much for being here, Jessica. This was wonderful. Thank you for having me here. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm, and... While you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.